Hello and welcome to this week's JersNet podcast. Breathe out, relax, that's it. It's not always been pretty, but it's over for another year. Rangers have wrapped up their season with a point away at both Aberdeen and Hibs to cement third place for the second season running, thanks in part to Sporting Integrity FC over in the East. We've got a bumper edition of the JersNet podcast this week as we look back over a tense affair up in Aberdeen, followed by a crazy afternoon in Leith to bring the season to a close. With 12 goals, two controversial penalties and also a sighting of the lesser spotted Rossiter, we've got plenty of on-the-park action to get stuck into. Also, as the playing action is done for another season, we'll take a look back over the past nine months of Portuguese proverbs and Kenny Miller suspensions and try and assess the season as a whole. And finally, we'll be looking ahead to the most exciting summer in decades as we welcome Stevie G to Ibrooks and get ready to launch another push for 55. My name's Ross Bennett and I'll be your JersNet podcast host this afternoon. And joining me on the pod, first up, we've got David Fraser. David, how's things this evening? Uh, evening, Ross. Evening, Colin. Uh, so also joining us, we've got Colin Armstrong. Colin, if you managed to settle down after the display at Easter Road today? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was frantic stuff, wasn't it? It was, it was quite an enjoyable game, but uh, I have settled in now. I had a wee barbecue in the sun, so uh, it's kind of it's kind of left the system a wee bit now, but it's rare to go. Right, fantastic. Well, without further ado, let's crack on with the show. So first up, we're going to have to uh, cast our minds back a wee bit to last Tuesday when Rangers made the long trip up north to Pataudry. We saw that the team was set up back to a 4-5-1 after going two up top previously. We saw Ross McCrory brought back in from the start as a defensive midfielder. Colin, what do you reckon about the setup? Was this the right way to set the team up away from home to go back to a 4-5-1? Uh, I, 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 I kind of think at the moment, well, obviously today was a wee bit different because we had injuries, but it, it's kind of felt for the last few weeks that the team kind of picks itself, if you know what I mean. They've, they've tried, you know, when they went 4-4-2, Against was it Kilmarnock? That didn't seem to work. So I think I think four five one was 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 kind of always going to be the the formation he was going to go with. I think it was McCrory's fit. He's going to start in that defensive midfield position because that seems to be his best position. So yeah, I, I think Nickel got it right on on Tuesday night. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a difficult place to go, Pataudry and and Aberdeen have got plenty of goals in them. So to to kind of pull back from two up top was probably a bit more conservative and a bit more cautious, but probably the right way to go. David, last Tuesday we had a, an incredibly fast start, and and for the first few minutes of the game we were all over them. Aberdeen couldn't get a touch on the ball, and then that all changed when uh, when a penalty was given to Aberdeen for a supposed alleged foul by Alfredo Morelos following a, an Aberdeen corner. They get a penalty, they score it, they go 1-0 up and it totally changes the game. Now, first things first, David, was it a penalty? Um, where I was uh, in the ground, I had a really good view of it. Uh, there was no chance it was a penalty. I was screaming that it was a dive at the time. So how uh, Stephen McLean um, deemed that to be a penalty when it was right in front of him is only he can tell you um, how, how he thought that was a that was a case. But uh, there you go, another Another decision goes against Rangers this season, and uh, uh, as, as today proved, you know there was there was more to come. Um, look, there's plenty of referee decisions that we're going to get through in the next uh, the next hour or so. So we'll definitely definitely cover some of these decisions, which have cost us so dear, not just this last week, but over the course of the whole season. Colin, as I mentioned there before the penalty for Aberdeen last week, 
we were so good for the first 15 minutes and then so bad for the next 30 in the first half until we managed to kind of reorganise at halftime. How much do you reckon the penalty affected the players? I think it definitely affected them. I think it's another sign that this is, you know, this current Rangers team is is not a mentally strong Rangers side. They seem to, you know, anytime any expectation gets put down in front of them, they, they, they crumble. And I think I think the, the turning point and or, or when this was revealed, because I think in January, as we've discussed on the pod before, we've done some, I thought we'd done some decent business in January. We went on a wee run. We went on a, a sort of decent run of, you know, stringing some results together. And there was a start, at one point it started to feel like, it used to feel as an Angel supporter, you know, a lot of routine wins and stuff like that. And then the Celtic game at Ibrox when we got beat 3-2. Again, they came out the traps, scored early doors. And they were, to me, they were, they were making a fist of it when they were sort of fighting as the underdogs, when the expectation was put down on them. When Celtic went down to 10 men, and all of a sudden the expectation is, right, guys, you have to, you have to get a result here. They just crumbled. And since since that that game, the the the, the performances have been pretty poor. Uh, it showed at Motherwell as well when we were two nothing down after about twenty minutes or something. Just the, the minute any sort of anything goes against them, they just they, they seem to crumble a wee bit. And I, it's that's something that needs to be addressed for next season. You know, they they need to be a lot stronger mentally. They need to to face all these challenges because as as Tuesday night proved at Petaudry. The minute one thing goes against them, that's it. They, they, they just seem to crumble a wee bit. I see what you're saying there, Colin. But, I mean, you've highlighted a, a couple of performances there, such as the Motherwell game where we were 2-0 down within 20 minutes and then the impact that this, this penalty at Aberdeen had on the team last week. But neither of those are games that we've gone on to lose. In fact, they're games that we've gone on to come back into the game later on. I think I've also seen that, statistically speaking, Rangers have picked up the most points in the league, having gone 1-0 down. So it seems that teams are finding a way to get the first goal, but actually, out of everyone else in the league, Rangers have the best stats for being able to get over that and being able to come back into the game and still pick up points. So, Colin, I think it's a bit unfair to kind of label them as not having the mentality to to kind of stand up to challenges when, you know, they've gone 1-0 down away at Aberdeen, but they fought back and got a point and probably should have had all three, especially considering it was never a penalty. They've done it at other hostile environments like at Motherwell. Um, and we were picking up points despite going a goal down so often. Does that not show a little bit of bottle? I think the home form undermines that, though. You know, I think that's when you see how mentally strong these players are when, when they're playing in front of 50,000 supporters who demand and expect them to win. I think that's when you've seen just how fragile this team can be. I hear what you're saying. I mean, our, our away form is, has been pretty fantastic this season. And if, if they replicated some of that at home then then who knows where we would be but it's the home form that I think shows just how mentally fragile this side is and and, and the fact that the I mean on Tuesday night I know they came back eventually uh, with, with Rush McCrory scoring the goal but the fact was we were for that 10 and 15 minutes we were running all over the top of them and then one bad decision and it, it knocked them for about well for at least the rest of that first half they were all over the shop you know they just couldn't they couldn't get out of the bat at all so yeah, I hear what you're saying, but no, I do, I do think there's an issue at Ibrox in terms of the mentality. I, I, I don't think they're strong enough at things. I don't disagree with you. I think we're actually still kind of struggling um, with a mindset that Warburton is very responsible for, where he's brought in these kind of characters who had a bright future in the game, but never had the had the footballing brain, never had the mindset, never had the winning competitive edge, and that's what we're we're still playing so many 
of these characters that came up under Warburton that are still making our match day squad. It just shows that the the winning mentality is not there, and it's that's partly because the recruitment has not been good enough to replace these guys that Warburton brought up. Um, so I think I, I think I agree with you, Colin. I think that there's there's not a winning mentality. There's certainly not a strength of character that that you need to wear the Rangers strip. David, you mentioned there that you were uh, you were at the game at Pataudry in the week. Um, how would you rate the performance of the lads coming out after half time? Something definitely changed at half time, and and we were very much the superior side. It certainly seemed that way, and watching it on TV in the second half. Um, how did it look from from your position at Pataudry? They certainly upped their game. Um, it seemed to touch back on what Colin was mentioned there. Um, when the penalty decision went against them, it, it was almost as though they, they lost their heads a wee bit. There was a couple of rash challenges. Um, Sean Goss, you know, could have considered himself uh, himself lucky, maybe not to get sent off. Jason Hall, um, he went through Dominic Ball and uh, the, the main stand side near the touchline. Um, there is a mentality thing. It's almost as if you know, there's a shot that the Picks the bubble of confidence, if you like, um, and it's almost as though that there's a lack of um, star players, you know, that they can look to and say, right, well, you know, I'll, I'll go back in, in time here and say, well, the likes of maybe Brian Loudrop or, or Paul Gaskin, say, you know, Brian's on the pitch, we can give the ball to Brian, he'll do something, get us at a hole. There's obviously there's not that level of quality there, and there's maybe not that level of. Um, of authority within the the playing squad, you know, somebody that can actually take the, the the responsibility on the part and say, right, give me the ball, I'll make things happen. Um, but to get back to the second half, I think Jimmy Nicol obviously got the man at half time, um, calmed him down a wee bit, obviously said to them, you know, you, you don't lose your head, you've, you've kind of lost your, your focus a wee bit. Um, they got refocused, came out in the second half and, and played well and without being, ever being dangerous um, or overly dangerous. They didn't create too many clear cut opportunities. I mean, Morelis was sent through. Um, there's a, a chance it felt to Sean Goss where he, he, he leaned back and he blazed it over the bar um, Jimmy also made a, a telling substitution he brought Jason Cummins on uh, and that made a difference the, the, the players come down the road yeah it was disappointing to, to drop two points given that it was, it was basically a must win game um, but I think given the, that I've been you know, quite critical of them uh, during this season, I think that uh, they deserve some credit for, for fighting their way back into the match and at least not losing it because Aberdeen, you know, when you've got as, as much possession as we tended to have in the second half uh, without creating too many chances, there's always a chance that, that, that your, the opposition can break up field and, and nick a goal and that would have been really deflating going into today's game. So all in all, I would say uh, credit where credit's due. Aye, absolutely. Um... Do you think a draw was a fair result then, David, or, or do you think we deserve to get three points? I would say over the piece, uh, a draw was probably fair. I mean, you could look at it two ways. You could say, well, Aberdeen got a penalty they should never have got. Jack Anik didn't have much to do, uh, if memory serves me correctly. The only chance that I can think of, that, apart from the two that I've just mentioned there, um, with Morelis and Goss, the Morelis one, he let the ball run across him just a fraction too long where he, he could have taken a shot. McCrory, obviously, I mean, he, was, he scored a good goal. But other than that, there wasn't a lot of chances created. And that's, that's down to the, the level of quality in, in, the, in the team. Um, Jamie Murphy, he seemed to play a wee bit better when he moved inside. That was similar to, to today as well. He, he seemed to 
be a wee bit more assured within himself uh, when he moved inside. So, but uh, I think over the piece, I think a, a point was a was a fair reflection in the game. Aye, fair enough. Right. So then, after we pick up a point away at Petodre, we've uh, we fast forward to Sunday, and uh, we go to Easter Road for one of the most madcap mental performances I have ever seen. I was at the uh, the game away at Hamilton earlier in the season. Um, when obviously with the, there were goals flying all over the place for a wee spell and it was one of the most bizarre matches of football I'd ever seen and I didn't think it would be topped certainly didn't think it would be topped this season um, <laughs> Hibs 5, Rangers 5 Colin I'll come to you first obviously there were some surprises there in the starting lineup. Um the main surprise for me obviously we knew that Morelos was, was going to be out suspended and so Cummins was always going to start uh, we also knew that McCrory was out suspended the surprise for me was that Jordan Rossiter was there um, alongside Sean Goss. I'd have thought that one of those would have been uh, left out for Greg Doherty. But it seems that Greg Doherty can't get a game no matter what he does at the moment. Were you surprised by Jordan Rossiter and, and Sean Goss starting in the middle of the park? I very much so, yeah, Ross. It was, it was a, a real strange one. And you, you, you kind of fear for the boy Doherty now, you know. I thought he started his, his Rangers career well, but he he seems to have played himself out the team and he's, he's struggling to get back in. But to be fair to, to, to Ross, I, I, I thought he'd done well. I, I thought he had a no-bad game, considering it was kind of similar when, when they brought Dorans back in against Motherwell, you know, straight for the start. Again, you were kind of questioning that, thinking surely it's a game that you would bring him on and give him a half hour. And I'm sure I'm sure uh, Dorans played 90 minutes that day. You know, so it was a wee bit like that. I, I, I was a wee bit surprised, given we we. we, we we knew what Hibs were going to be like today. It was going to be, they were going to come at us. So it was, uh, I was a wee bit surprised that he came in, but he done well. And maybe Jimmy Nichols seen something in training that, that, that we we can't see. You know, we, we're not there day in, day out. Uh, the boy's been injured for a long time. He's maybe been showing something in training that's made Jimmy Nichols think, that's the boy I need for today. And he, he did, I thought he done well. And you never know, it could be a turning point for him, but, on, on Doherty, as I said, I like the boy, but it, I, I really am starting to fear from now. I, I, I just wonder if someone somewhere has made their mind up on him. Oh, I suppose though with Doherty, he's, he's one of the lads who's got sort of the most to gain from the changing manager. You know, playing in a similar position to Stevie G, a young guy, bags of talent. By all accounts, he sounds like he's got a decent work rate and a work ethic. He's one of these guys that hopefully Gerard would be able to mould into kind of a a, a player in his own image, I feel like. So you'd think Doherty's kind of glad to see the end of this season and, and looking forward to getting back in pre-season and really impressing someone that you'd have grown up idolising at any rate. Um, but to, to stick with Rossiter for a moment, I think, Colin, you're absolutely right. And he had a, he had a good game, all things considering. He took his goal really well, some real nice composure, um, good touch into the box, lovely finish past the keeper. And so actually considering how long he's been out, yes, there were some sloppy passes, one or two tackles where he was a, a split second late, nothing overly malicious, you know. The thing that impresses me about Jordan Rossiter is the way he reads the game. It's the brain that he's got and that he he always seems to be able to see where the pass is going and he makes a hell of a lot of interceptions that that might possibly go a wee bit unnoticed. Um, so I think all things considering how long he's been out, uh, a, a game with a fair amount riding on it as we, as we push for seconds, in a very, very hostile environment. He's he's done well and he can hold his head high this evening. Now, we mentioned, obviously, that there, there's been some shocking refereeing decisions recently and, and today was another performance which was absolutely abysmal, in my opinion, from Ansdales. I'm usually quite 
um, sympathetic towards referees. I would never want to do the job myself. Um, my dad was actually a qualified referee and, and he would always say how difficult it is. And I always kind of felt some of what was said about referees is, is harsh and over the top and they only get to see it once and the game's going at a million miles an hour. Um, but but the refereeing performance today is is one that I could never criticise strongly enough. We'll start off with um, with the penalty. Again, the opening goal this, uh, in this game was scored by a penalty. David, I'll come to you first. Was it a penalty? I would say yes. Marginally, yes. David Bates' decision-making to, to raise his arms and try and uh, pull by, I think it was Jamie McLaren. Um, uh, you could maybe say that the, in his defence, uh, he started pulling him outside the box, but obviously it, it continued into the box just on the on the 18-yard line. And so I don't think it gives the, the referee any, any option but to give a penalty. Colin, how about yourself? Was it a penalty? I, uh, I thought it was tad soft, to be fair. I, I mean, it's one of those ones, I think, technically, it's a penalty. I, I think there's an argument, as David says there, that it started outside the box. But I, I thought it was soft. I, I, I thought it was soft. But, you know, it, it was the least of his, his poor decisions today, I think, Dallas. It was one of the worst refereeing performances. The season has ended the way it started, essentially, because it started off against Hibs. We horrendous refereeing performance uh, for beaten. You know, Stoke should have been sent off. Then he sends off Ryan Jack. But these things have have an impact. You know, they they, they change the the way games are going. You know, if, if, if Stokes get sent off in the first ten minutes of that game, we probably going and win that game at Ibrox that day. And today, Dallas was the same. Just some absolute shocking decisions. And I think the penalty was actually one of the the ones that's the least controversial. To me, I don't think it, it could have been a penalty because, like you've both said, the, the contact started outside the box. The foul started outside the box. So at, at what point has he decided that that's a foul? Is it, is it suddenly, as soon as he's crossed the white line into the penalty area, that's when he's, that's when the referee's decided it's a foul? That doesn't, that's not logical to me. That doesn't make sense. If it's a foul, it started outside the box. You have to give the foul where the foul took place initially. Um, so it, it, it doesn't make sense to me. I also didn't like the way... I don't know if either of you guys were at the game today. I was watching it on BT Sport. I didn't like the way that every pundit was saying that's a that's a stick-on penalty. And despite the fact the only camera angle we had was about 60 feet away and it was a dead blurry image. You can't really see what's going on. Um, but, you know, you've got the whole but, media. But, but, but we're used to this with Craig and, and Sutton. You know, know. It's, it, when, when Rangers were 3 nothing down today, I don't know how you felt, but it, it felt to me like they were enjoying it. You know, oh, they were, I, 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 it felt there was an element of gloating and how they were talking and all the rest. Of it. And Egg we've spoke about this in the pod. Yeah, we've spoke about this in the past on the podcast. It's it's with Sky, it's Andy Walker uh, on on BT. It's it's Oilham, apart from McCoy, and even McCoy sometimes can 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 cross the line. So yeah, I, I, I'm with you. That I was I was getting annoyed today at some of the comments that we're getting. There. Right, we'll stick on the referee. Um, and for anyone that's not seen the game today. There was, not to sound too dramatic, there's what can only be described as an absolute horror tackle from the sweetheart of the Rangers fans, Scott Allen. Colin, you know, we've, we've spoken about this off air just now. The tackle that he makes on Jordan Rossiter, a full three yards ahead of the referee. What did you make of that today? It's a shocker. It's, uh, it really is. It's, uh, he's endangering an opponent. I mean, no attempt to play for the ball. And, and it was it was actually, you know, he was he was getting back at Rossiter because Rossiter had, had fouled someone a couple of minutes before it, so you know it's there's nothing in there that that doesn't say a red card. And the fact is that, that Andrew Dallas is about two yards away, 
he's, he's standing looking right at it. Uh, Scott Allen's out of control, both feet off the ground. There's, there's actually, just before we came on, I, I, I caught something on social media. Someone had, uh, you know, stuck the sort of slow motion replay. And when it shows you, there's a Hibs fan in the background putting his head in his hands. As if, oh no, he's going to, you know, is that already accepting he's going to be sent off of that? And he's about 10, 15 yards further away to the incident than, than Andrew Dallas was. So how he came to the conclusion that it wasn't a red card is beyond me. As as I said before we came on here, it's either, you know, so blatant he can't even referee at this level or he's he's just cheating. He's just saying, I'm not going to do that. And, and sometimes I think it's, it's it's got to do with, you know, who's on the bench in terms of the manager. And I sometimes think we've had weak managers over the last few years. I think in the back of a lot of referees' minds, when it comes to these kind of decisions, it's people like Neil Lennon, or he'll, he'll scream in the papers, he'll, he'll moan about me after the game. You know, these things do have an impact. I don't care what anyone says. When you claim for things and you make such a big fuss about it, if, if, if a bad one goes against you, referees, it's in the back of their head. You know, so... I don't know why he never produced a red card, but it was a, uh, uh, there was no other decision he could have come to, really. And the fact that he booked them is scandalous, in my opinion. Absolutely. And look, I don't know if it's the, the kind of remit of the uh, of the compliance officer. Um, I have a feeling even if it is in the remit of the compliance officer, I won't be holding my breath. It'll be sticking his head above the parapet on that. And you're absolutely right. The influence that characters like Neil Lennon have on the referees and on the media is... Um, it's shameful, absolutely shameful that, I'd, listen, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't buy into the the party line that, you know, referees are all against Rangers and that there's some convention at the SFA every year where they decide how many penalties they'll give against Rangers and how many Rangers players they'll send off. I don't buy into any of that at all. But, Colin, what you've said is absolutely spot on, that certain managers know that they can noise up the media, they can noise up the referee, make the referee's life live in hell, and it's not worth the grief that they get. And because we haven't had characters like that in a long time, thinking back, you know, obviously we've had McCoyst and we've had Warburton, we've had Kashinia, none of whom have been able to stand up to referees and to bring a certain level of defence of the team and a passion. It means that we're lacking in that front. And that's, that's why things like the Scott, Scott Allen tackle today on Jordan Rossiter go unpunished. Um, and it's... It's an absolute sin. It's really shameful. And, and the SFA need to take a look at the refereeing standards across the board in the country because it's just not good enough. That said, there was one red card today. Jason Holt saw red um, towards the end of the game. David, do you think that it was it was right for Jason Holt to be sent off? His second yellow card, I think, was inexcusable. Ross, um, I mean, what's he thinking? He's just throwing jerseys back. It's in, it's in the Habs half, close to the halfway line. I mean... What is he thinking? It's just a, I don't know. I mean, is it Jason, he grew up with Hearts fan. Anytime he played Hibs, um, certainly in a Rangers jersey, I mean, he, he bursts a gut. He obviously doesn't like them. Um, but I just, um, it, again, it's, I mean, it, from a managerial perspective, behaviour like that in the park, it must, it must drive managers and coaches up the wall to see a player do something inexplicable like that and, and um, heat pressure on his teammates. Um, regardless of whether you, you say, well, it's you know his first booking, you know, not necessarily merited or whatever. You know, the, the fact is he's on a yellow card. He's carrying a yellow. 
and it it, it 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 gives the referee something to think about, and it's an easy option for the referee because he's pulled him back, and it's it's a free kick. It's nah, it's it's just daft for, for Jason Hall. I mean, I mean, I'd, I'd get that, David, but I think the biggest issue that certainly I have and a lot of supporters have is the consistency. You know, there's a real lack of consistency. Now, quite early, you're saying there that Jason Holt's given the referee a decision to make. Scott Allen gave the referee a decision to make, and he never, oh, he never took, you know, he never took the ultimate sanction. And there's been a, there's been a, a rake of these this season. You know, you had the we mentioned earlier on that the Hibs game at the start of the season. There was the incident in the semi-final against Motherwell where, where Cardoso got his nose broken. You know, the penalty last week against Aberdeen, penalty today, Scott Allen today. There's been there's been a few of these this season, and I must admit, I, 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 I don't buy the conspiracy theory thing, but it does feel like there, there, there's a lot going against us this season. No, what you're saying there, Colin, you, you could make a case that Rangers have been refereed to a different standard this season. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but... No, Ross was asking the question here, did Jason Holt deserve to go? Aye, he, he did. But you're saying there about Scott Allen, I did you're looking for consistency, definitely. When you when you see such glaring inconsistency in a game, never mind over you know, half a dozen games or whatever. Over half a dozen games you can maybe you can point to it statistically and say, Well that wasn't it, you know, it didn't even itself out, shall we say, but but during the game there, aye, there's there's no excusing Alan no getting sent off, but, but for Jason Holt to do that, I, I'm I'm sticking to my gun. I'm afraid that he it, it was just daft on his part. I I agree with you, David. I think to a degree he's he's let his teammates down. You know, everyone knew that for the last ten minutes when they're five four down, they're going to be throwing everything at at Rangers because I mean, you've seen how Len- Lennon celebrated at the end. It was as if he won the World Cup, um, all because he got a, a goal against the big bad Rangers, but. We knew how hard they would be coming at us in the last ten minutes, and to to put the team in a position of having one less man to defend it, that's that was telling at the end of the day. You know, two minutes into injury time, they've got a man free in the box. Is um, I think he's he'll have to be very very apologetic to his his teammates there because to me, he's let the team down. He's let the fans down doing that. You're right, you can argue all day long as to whether the, the first yellow was was warranted or not. It probably was warranted. He knew what he was doing. He was delaying the game. Um, but to do that at the halfway line, when it was, you know, the ball was close to the touchline anyway, there's just no need. And it's it shows a lack of intelligence. It shows the poor decision-making that we've spoken about time and time again on this podcast. And it, it really, really frustrates me. Um, just as a final thing on this game, obviously, we, uh, we we've mentioned Neil Lennon in passing once or twice there. Um, he manages to get himself sent to the stands yet again um, and listen this is a Rangers podcast we're here to talk about Rangers but this guy has for, for me he has such a negative impact on Scottish football he's got such a reputation he can't keep his emotions in check and obviously I, I know he's got you know kind of mental health issues in the past and that's that's not what I'm driving at at all um, what I'm trying to say is the guy is a liability with the media with the officials he finds himself sent to the stands yet again for the way he celebrated a winner. Uh, it's not a winner, he celebrated getting a draw at home. The pundits and, and the media have said, Colin, that Neil Lennon is a character that we need in the Scottish game. He brings a passion to the game up here that's uh, it's good for the game. I despise the guy, personally. Do we need him? Does he bring anything that we need? Or is he? Um, does he bring a bad reputation? Is he just trouble? 
I mean, in, in terms of his team, I don't think anyone can deny that he's he's put together a decent Hibs team there, and they're, they're, they're easy on the eye as well. You know, they're, they're, they're a good side, and, you know, I think he has a fairly decent manager, certainly in, in Scotland anyway. I'm aware he got found out a wee bit at, at Bolton, but as a character, I, I just find him hard work. It, it, it just seems to, and what really grates for me about the whole thing as if it was anyone else doing this, the, the, I think a lot of your, your your media commentators who sort of, you know, praise him and, and, and say, oh, he's fine, he's this and that, you know, they would be, I, I imagine Walter Smith doing something like that today. You know what I mean? Imagine any Rangers manager, if you reverse the circumstances, a, a previous Rangers manager managing uh, Hearts against Celtic and they score a last minute equaliser and he goes running down onto the park towards the Celtic fans. Imagine what some of the media commentators would be saying about that. You know, I, I just I don't know. How, well, I, I I do know how he gets away with it because you know he's obviously had a lot to put up with with, with some of the stuff you know off the park, and there's the mental health issues that you, you you've sort of mentioned previously, and and I just kind of wonder if that kind of stuff makes him untouchable, and he just uses it, and he uses it well. To be fair, you know, because he he gets away with murder. Uh, that today again was embarrassing. Even on on, on Wednesday night against the Harps game, you know he, he can't even walk off the park. He's got to gesture to the crowd. He's always got to be doing something. Uh, and I, I I just despise him. I just don't like him at all. Spot on. The guy's a clown, and he's an embarrassment to the game up here. We'll leave it there for the games. What we're going to do now, obviously, we mentioned that that's wrapped up the season for Rangers. Um, we're going to take a wee look back over the over the course of the season. You know, it's third place, seventy points, twelve points behind Celtic, um, and and fifty five is delayed for at least another year. David, there's no way this season could be called a success. Would it be fair to call it a failure? Difficult to say, Ross. Um, I think, given that that's two consecutive seasons where they've they've got to cup semis, they finished third in the league. Um, both times, uh, I dare say you could call it, you know, a season of stagnation. Um, they've not improved. They've not really, they've not really get any, any worse. You could say that um, they've closed the the gap in points to Celtic, but that's probably more to do with how um, Celtic have, have tailed off in terms of their form. Again, without you know being hypercritical, you could make a case that it has been a season of failure. But there was so much optimism. Um, whether it was misplaced or not for the start of the season um, under Pedro uh, yeah, I've said before in, the, in previous pods that it, it just seems like a, a situation of our own making uh, and it's been compounded by making uh, mistakes uh, and it all just there's just a, there's a there's an overwhelming feeling of self-inflicted pain attached to this season but Colin touched on there a, a, um, a few comments ago about you know our, the team was building up a wee head of steam the confidence was was fragile, but obviously the the, the word to a post has maybe played a significant part in the outcome of the season. If, if Alfredo sticks on that equaliser in the, the last league game at Ibrox, I think I still think their confidence would have would have um, would have suffered, but I don't think it would have suffered as badly. I think it, it's it played a a major um, part in um, the results of the the cup semi. Um, and that obviously had a knock-on effect of the final league game at, uh, at Parkhead. Um, so over the piece, there's not been any great improvement. Uh, and if, if Rangers don't 
get through it. I'll put it this way. If Rangers get through a, a season without winning a trophy, I dare say it could be deemed a failure. How about you, Colin? Is, is failure a fair word for this season? I think so, Ross. Yeah, I think it's been a really poor season. I mean, we're three points better off than last season. And we're closer to Celtic, you know, we were 33 points behind them last season. We'll, we'll put that down to, down to 12 this season. But the majority of that is, is down to them regressing. And they've regressed considerably. You know, there's something like 20, 30 points worse off this season. So, and when you consider the amount of points we've dropped at home, you know, we've, we've lost seven games and we've had two draws. So that's what, 25 points or something. Even if we'd got 50% of those points, you know, we're right up there. And at crucial points in the season, when we, we had the opportunity to ask questions of Celtic, that's where the the, 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 the mental fragility that I'm, I've been talking about previously kicked in. You know, when any sort of expectation was, was or challenge was put in front of them, they, they, they just crumbled every single time. Uh, I think we've. I think we could have given them a wee bit of a fright this season. I'm not saying we could have won it, but we certainly could have made a fist of it. And I, th- I think we. I think it's a failure. And the fact that the two semi-finals, you know, the Motherwell game was a shambles. Uh, the, the the Celtic game was an utter shambles. The European campaign was an embarrassment. So yeah, I think it's. I think we've gift wrapped the title for them this season. I think it's been a very very bad season. I, th- I think. I think you're you're not far off there, Colin. You know, Celtic won the league this year, I think, with 82 points. Looking back over the history of the SPL, and particularly when, particularly when there's been a strong Rangers and Celtic side, 82 points is a very, very low winning tally. Um, so they were there. They were there for the taking. For me, there's been a few really pivotal, crucial turning points where things haven't gone our way. Um, and I can think of three matches in particular, two of which were very, very close to each other. Some really important results for us were when Graham Murray had just come in and I think we lost to Hamilton and to Dundee in quick succession at home. It was two games that we should never have lost. And those extra six points at that point in the season would have been massive, absolutely massive, about keeping a bit of pressure on going into Christmas. Um, and then the other possibly even more vital turning point for me was the the 3-2 loss against them at Ibrooks in 2018 when they go down to 10 men and we should never, never have lost that game. If we'd won that game, we'd have been in such good form going into it. We'd, we'd had such a good start to 2018, a strong February. And if we'd kept the pressure on, we spoke, I remember speaking to you guys about this, you know, a couple of months ago, the the momentum that we had going into that game um, and to lose it in the manner that we did was, was for me a real turning point when, when heads dropped across the board. Um, so you're right. It's a season of what could have been, um, but, the gap is closed, you know, a 12-point gap down from 30-odd. It's going in the right direction. It's going in the right direction fast. But 12 months ago, I was nowhere near confident that we could stop 10 in a row. Now we're a season later and and they've got one season closer. But I actually feel better about doing it. You know, the gap's closing and we'll see where we are. Um, Colin, you mentioned there about a shocking European campaign. It can't even be called a campaign. 180 minutes of European football this year. Maybe the writing was on the wall for for Pedro back in July um, that night in Luxembourg. Looking back over the course of the season and and with the benefit of hindsight, should Pedro have gone earlier than he did? Or even on the flip side of that, was Pedro maybe not given enough time? I'll take it one step further. He should never have been appointed as far as I'm concerned. It was just never of the required calibre. You know, I, I... I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of people up here in the media criticising the appointment of Stephen Gerrard 
and there's no doubt about the fact that Stephen Gerrard there's a bit of a risk there you know he's 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 not experienced in terms of management and stuff like that but what he does have is that winning mentality he knows how big clubs operate so if you're going to take a punt then you take a punt on someone like him to bring in some guy from who was he managing for Mexico or something like that that no one's heard of he's not he's I wasn't convinced when he was appointed. I just thought, who is this guy? Why are we appointing this guy? And very early on, I, I felt, no, this is going to be a disaster. The European one was, at that point, you think, no, this is this is going to be a poor season. And that's 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 the way it's turned out. I don't think he should have got more time at all. I think he should have got, uh, he, he shouldn't have been appointed, appointed in the first place. It was, a, it was a bizarre appointment. He was never up to the task. And then the board compound that by, by putting Murray in place after him. Again, another man who, in my opinion, just wasn't up to it. And that's led down, you know, when you consider the disastrous season we've had, and we've only finished 12 points behind them. And I say only because last year it was like 33, 34 points. So if we'd had any sort of structure this season, a, a decent manager in, you just never know. Uh, but no, Pedro, no, he wasn't for me at all, I'm afraid. David, we've recruited a, a huge number of players, many of whom are coming from overseas over the course of the two transfer windows. Um how do you rate the kind of the success of those transfer windows? Obviously, summer we got the, the foreign imports with Morelos, Alves, Cardozo, Herrera, Carlos Pena, and and then obviously Ryan Jack coming in as well. Then in the the, Jan, the January window had a bit more of a kind of UK flavour to it with Sean Goss, Jason Cummins, um, Jamie Murphy coming up from England, and, and Greg Doherty from Hamilton. I remember particularly in the summer when people like Bruno Alves came and Carlos Pena came, the excitement was, you know, was palpable. Everyone was really buzzing that these guys from Portugal or from Mexico were coming across and we were going to bring a kind of new brand of football to the SPL. For me, it's been the summer signings apart from Alfredo Morelos and, and through no fault of his own, obviously, Ryan Jack being out injured for most of the season. The summer uh, transfer window was a, a nightmare. And personally, I don't think that January's been much better. It's been a slight improvement, but not a great deal better. How do you kind of rate the success of those two transfer windows? It's difficult to put your finger on it, Ross. Um, I think the, the one thing that sticks out for me is uh, the, the difference between uh, Mark Allen being involved as a director of football uh, and overseeing the recruitment windows. Um, the summer uh, window, um, I could be wrong here, but I don't imagine he had too much input into those signs. Um, I think some board members may well have pushed for uh, the likes of maybe uh, Graham Dorns being signed. Pedro's obviously um, sought to bring in guys that he could communicate with without any problem, hence the, the Portuguese guys that came in. Um, I think Bruno Alves, you know, he was, of all the players that came, I think uh, Alves was was the one that um, people could, you know, look to his, his past playing record and say, right, we've, we've got somebody here providing it. Um, he stays fit given his, his exploits um, in the, the previous summer at the, the Euros. Um, Fabio Cardozo, again, he was he was talked up in the, in the, the press as being a, a one for the future in Portuguese uh, football. He's not really done a heck of a lot. Um, Ryan Jack uh, obviously came um, from Aberdeen. Decent player, Ryan. Um, I think he maybe he struggled to adapt at first. Maybe when he was trying too hard, he was getting, getting into tackles that he maybe didn't need to go into and, and subsequently get himself sent off rightly or wrongly, whether it was through poor refereeing or not. 
And the, the, the Mexican guys, Carlos Pena, Eduardo Herrera, they were always going to be a risk in my view. I can remember saying to people uh, that I go to the game with saying, I just hope we don't need to pay off um, Portuguese and, and Mexican players this time next year. That may well turn out to be the case. We'll, we'll need to wait and see with, with how uh, Steve and Gerard views them. With regards to January transfer, and again, Mark Allen's obviously had a, a major input in that. Um, he's had the, possibly the remit to, to get bodies in without spending any money. Um, could you view them as being successful? Uh, I mean, obviously, I correct myself there, he's, um, they spent money on Greg Doherty and, and Declan John. Th- those two players, I think, they've, they've been decent squad additions. Um, if Jamie Murphy, uh, well, I can't say that, that was just a, a, a deferred uh, payment uh, in terms of the, the loan. So he's going to be a permanent. I think, again, he's Jamie Murphy's a reasonable player, I think it'll be a decent squad addition. Jason Cummins, I know there's a bit of debate about, you know, whether people think he's good enough to play for Rangers. Yeah, I said a, a few pods back there that I would have, I would go with Jason Cummins if he's if he's going to cost 600 k Um Sean Goss, he's obviously going to go back to QPR. Um I think over the piece, I think it's been patchy at, at best, the two transfer windows us. And uh, I'd only hope that if Stevie G can uh, can get his moving in the in the right direction when it comes to player acquisitions. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's a that's a big part of appointing Stevie G is obviously first and foremost Liverpool connections. And you know, there's there's rumours going already that there's discussions about who who can come up on loan from Liverpool, whether that's players the calibre of someone like Danny Ings or if it's more your 18, 19, 20 year olds trying to get some first team football experience. It, it's probably a market that we wouldn't have had access to were it not for someone with such good links to Liverpool. But also you know, you've got to hope and aspire to the fact that hopefully if you're a a young, semi-talented footballer and you're trying to find a team to play for, are you going to go and settle for some kind of Midland Championship team in England or are you going to come and play for Stevie G? And so hopefully, you're right, David, hopefully it does kind of breed an atmosphere where players want to come and play for us and he's got the connections to get young, hungry, talented players to come up and play at Ibrooks. I think the transfer windows this year at the time seemed great and have subsequently proved not to be so hot. Um, I think you're right, we'll see a kind of wholesale clearance of particularly the the Mexicans and the Portuguese guys that, that came in early in the season. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's hard not to see it for me as, as two transfer windows wasted. There was a bit of an improvement in January and you do have to applaud some of the work that Mark Allen did there, but ultimately I think things on the, the player recruitment front really have to pick up going forward into next season. Right, what I'm going to do now is uh, a wee bit more quick-fire questions for you both. David, I'll come to you first. I want you to give me a, a highlight and a low point of the season and who would your player of the season be? A low point would be the 5-0 game at Parkhead. High point would be the appointment of Stephen Gerrard. And the player of the season, that's a more difficult one for me. I, for consistency... Uh, Daniel Candias for improvement, uh, James Tavernier, but probably the overall player of the season, uh, I'd probably go for Alfredo Morelos. Colin, how about yourself? Well, there's too many low points to to think about. You know, the, the, the two Celtic games were, were sore ones. The European one, the, the progress game was a, you know, that was a dull one. You know, that really, that, that, that nipped. Uh, I would agree with David in, in terms of the Steven Gerrard. That's probably been the, and, and I think that shows the sort of season that we've had. That high point is something that happened off the park, uh, but it, it 
it was a good day. It felt good to be a Rangers fan that day. Uh, so yeah, I'd have that as my high point. My player of the season, I would probably go again. I'd probably agree with David. The other be Candias or Morelos. Uh, there's, there's, there's not been, not, not, not been too much to pick. For, to be fair, you know, they've, 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 there's just no real standout candidates. You know what I mean? So it's just been, yeah, it's just been one of those years. I think. Aye, this is shocking, isn't it? We've uh, put this podcast together, hopefully, to get some conversation, some debate going amongst us, and all three of us are finding ourselves agreeing with each other on the high point <laughs> player of the season. That's fine. At least we're consistent here at Jersnet. What we're going to do now, we're going to look ahead um, to the coming season. As we mentioned, we're all dead excited. The, the arrival of Stephen Gerrard is is one of the most exciting things, surely, to happen to Scottish football in in a long, long time. And, and it will breathe some much-needed life and energy back into the game and back into the club. Colin, looking ahead to the 2018-2019 the season, it's a big question, but what needs to change at Rangers to win 55 this year? Well, again, going back to that sort of winning mentality, that, and I think that's something that Gerard will bring. Uh, but we need we need better players. Uh, I, I think this season has shown it's a kind of strange one where, where the, the league's highest scorers have also conceded the most goals. So I think we need a back four, I th- and I would include uh, Tavernier in that. I think Tavernier today going forward was excellent, but that equaliser. It's a sort of combination of him and Russell Martin again, you know. So I think defensively he's a wee bit suspect. So I think we need to strengthen at the, at the back. For all accounts, Alan McGregor's on his way back. That that could be a good start. Uh, so centre-half pairing at least. A spine, essentially. I think we need a spine and on the park. Uh, and that winning mentality as well, you know, that determination to just... You know, find a way to win games. You know, because not every game. I mean, and and even that that mob across the road under Brenda, you know, they have their days when they're not playing that well, but they always just find a way. You know, and that's what to me that's what good teams do. They just find a way when they're having an off day at the office. They'll find a way to get the three points in the bag. And yes, but sorry to interrupt your calling there. Uh, they don't always find a way because sometimes when they're playing a team that can secure second and make sure that Rangers don't get second, <laughs> yeah, well, win that one. I well, well, that's all down to sport and integrity again, Ross, isn't it? You know, so but in the in, in the games yeah. that they want to win, I'll, I'll rephrase it. In the games that they want to win, uh, they always just seem to find a way, and that's what winning teams do. They find a way, and so that's what we need. We we, we just need a, that that wee bit more sort of mental strength, and you know, a, a, just a sense of belief and determination to get through games when you're just having those off days. David, you've spoken on this pod and on, on previous pods about the fact that kind of the calibre caliber of players isn't really good enough for the club. Can you be kind of more specific on that? Where do you think we need to strengthen? Colin's mentioned that we need a, a new back four and a new spine of the team. Would you agree with him? Yeah, I would, I would concur entirely with what, what Colin said there. The word is spine, you know, they, they, in every sense of the word. You know, you, they, we need a we need backbone in the players, you know, some, they just need something about us. Uh, I think that's going to be a big part of Stevie's um, task at hand is to, assuming he's not going to, you know, discard everyone at the club, um, he's going to need to instill belief uh, in a lot of these players that have never been lacking. In terms of quality, there's, there's no doubt, um, I think I, I a better goalkeeper uh, would instill confidence uh, in two centre-halves in front of him. 
I think there may well be room for Bruno Alves. Um, I'm not too sure on that one. I, 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 I wouldn't be hasty to, to discard them. I think we, we, we need, we, we certainly, from a squad perspective, we need two centre-halves. You could make a case for, for, for getting two backs in. Um, I don't think Declan John or James Tavernier are particularly good going back the way. Having said that, I think James Tavernier has, de- has improved over the course of the season. Declan John, um, we've only really seen um, four or five months of him, so he's not exactly set the header alight in terms of defensive capability. Through the middle, today I thought John Rossiter's performance was very good, given that he's you know he's not kicked a ball all season. I think that the big thing that stuck out for me was his awareness um, he seemed to have loads of time in the ball. He knew what was running about him. He didn't seem panicked. And that's usually the hallmarks of a good player. So hopefully that horrendous assault with Scott Allen that he hasn't set him back in terms of his, his, um, his playing time going into pre-season. Through the middle, going up front, you be mentioning the fact that we're the highest goal scorers in the league. That, I think, paints a false picture. Because I've, I've never done going on about you know, we don't seem to create a lot of chances. Now, people will say, well, Daniel Candace, you know, he knocks two guilt-edged chances into the box per game. And statistically, aye, that may well be borne out, but it's the, the it's the quality of crosses that he puts in the box. You know, you, you, you're lucky if you get a couple of crosses per game. Uh, I mean, if, you, if you look back to somebody like Neil McCann, who, before he arrived at Ibrox, he was... He, People pointed the finger at him for being erratic. Well, he, he upped his, his game considerably, where more often than not, he'd put crosses right on the button. So we, we definitely need better quality in terms of creating chances. That You can extend that further in terms of, you know, putting chances away. I mean, if, if, if some of the chances that Alfredo had missed, some of the, the, the big setters, you know, that's going to translate into points. Um, working back the way, better defenders, uh, looking the day, I mean, you, you, you look... David Bates, he looked back to his old tentative self. Russell Martin, enough said. Uh, and obviously, Colin made mention there, uh, um, James Tavernier, uh, uh, the equaliser for, for five each. I think that was done to the fact he's... He, James Tavernier plays a big part in driving that team forward. Uh, and he's expending a lot of energy. And you've seen the other, um, Brandon Barker, he just you know, knocked the ball past him and just ran by him. And, and James was was literally toiling to get back them. But I there's there's got to be a spine and better quality players brought in. And that's, you know, as I've said before in the pod, that's gonna cost money. Certainly will, absolutely. I think we've we've all kind of touched on it, you know, the mentality and the the issues that we have with having a competitive winning streak in the players is something that needs to be addressed urgently. And thankfully we've got a manager coming in who is a renowned leader. Um, doesn't accept second best and is a winner. So hopefully he can either inspire some kind of newfound confidence in some of our players or identify players that do not have the requisite winning mentality and and ship them out the door. Because I think that our club is riddled with people who think that it's okay to get a one-win draw or it's, you know, it's it's not too bad if we draw against Aberdeen or if we draw against Hibs. These are teams that we as Rangers should be beating week in, week out. And I think some of our players do not understand that still after all these years do not understand the expectation of the fans to win every game and every game means every game so hopefully Gerard can either instill that in players already at the club or will identify the ones that will never have that mentality and, and ship them out the door and replace it with guys who know what it takes to win at a big club 
Now, we've all mentioned as well that, that one of the most painful things about this season was the embarrassment in, in Luxembourg. Um, so with a slightly different question, David, I'll come to you first on this. For you, what would constitute success in Europe this year? Obviously, we're going in uh, to the early stages of the Europa League again at the first qualifying rounds. I don't necessarily need you to kind of say, oh, we need to get to the group stages or anything like that. But but what would you judge as a success in Europe for us? Not to dodge the question, that'll all... When we see the, the calibre of player that, that Stephen Gerrard signs, that would, would obviously um, have an impact in where you would see them reaching in Europe. I think, given our, uh, our absence from European competition, I think qualification into the group stages of the Europa League would would represent um, a successful season. I don't know, how, how, you, how do you measure it? Is it just is it exposure? Is it a, a, decent, um, a decent group where you, some glamour ties and the fans can get up uh, and enjoy European football again? Or is it the financial reward? Um, I'm not too sure. Uh, the, the obvious answer would be, you know, don't get embarrassed again by, you know, a relative minnow or don't shoot yourself in the foot. That would represent success to me. But I think if, if they can get into, get into the group, get a decent draw, maybe get a, a couple of glamour uh, fixtures out of a, a group section uh, and give a reasonable account of themselves, um, that could represent success. But again, it's all driven down to, it's down to, to how Stevie turns it around, who he signs, what, what he does. I mean, he's, he's got a tremendous opportunity um, to stamp his, his mark on the club as a whole. And uh, hopefully really drive it forward. I would say group participation, Ross. How about you, Colin? What represents success in Europe for you? Again, I would I would I would have to concur. I think if we go to the group stages that would be good. You know, uh, I was I was doing a wee bit of research today and the teams that qualified for the the group stages this year got approximately two point three million each and then three hundred K for for every game that they won and a hundred K for every 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 draw. So I mean it's no it's not the sort of revenue that you'll get from the Champions League but you know, it's revenue that we've, we've not had for the last four or five years. You know, as as, as David pointed out there, we've, we've been absent from Europe since since the financial sort of calamity. So, you know, th- that would represent to me the next stage in terms of the club getting back to normal again. You know, we've, we've already got the, the Sports Direct thing sorted. So the kit deal, that's something else. That's another revenue stream that we've been denied for the last two or three years. So when you've got the kit deal coming in, David King's announced the the share issue, you know. So if we could get into the group stages and get some revenue in, I think that's another sort of positive sign in, in the sort of overall recovery of the club. Yeah, I think it's fair. I think personally, I think getting to the the group stages um, might be a tad ambitious. It would certainly represent success for me. Um, you've seen, you know, last year the the fans going away to a, a friendly in Leipzig. Um, what was it, 8,000 of us went along to that. And you've even seen fans following the young team going across, you know, the, the under-20s going across into Europe and playing some of their glamour friendlies across Europe. We want to travel. We want to go abroad. We want to follow the team. And we deserve it now. We've we've had so many years of waiting for some success and waiting for a good day out. Um, I'm, I'm so hopeful this year that, uh, that we get further than the first qualifying rounds and that the fans are treated to some glamour days and getting to travel across Europe like we did in the old days. You know, we're now 10 years exactly from uh, that day in Manchester. 
and you think back to the memories of of that run, getting to the final, um, the penalties at Fiorentina, uh, beating Sport in Lisbon, all the memories that were made that year. We're now ten years on from that, and for me, it's it's time we we need as a fan base, we need and we deserve to to be treated to memories like that again. Um, and that is something that I'm really, really hoping for this season. I, I hope that when we look back on this season in 12 months' time, we have fond memories of a European campaign where we brought some fun and some joy back to Ibrox and to Scottish football. Hopefully, Stephen Gerrard's the man to do that. And, and I think we're all really optimistic that, that this could happen this year. Right, again, moving into a, a slightly different direction, a large part of this season obviously was categorised by management under, under Graham Murty. Um, who a couple of weeks ago left his post as technically interim Rangers manager until the end of the season. He he walked a few weeks early. It's not entirely clear what's going to happen to Graham Murty now because obviously he was the under-20s coach and then he stepped up to to fill in post-Kaishinha. And the last I heard was that Graham Murty was taking some time away to assess all of the options. Colin, do you think that there's a role for Murty at the club or is it best if we kind of sever ties there? Well, I think it's. I think that's down to Graham Murray. I, I believe the club have sort of left the door open for him. So, I mean, I, I saw Chris Boyd talking a couple of weeks ago in one of the games, saying there's no way that he would stay at Rangers if they appoint a new manager. It would be too awkward and all the rest. Of it. I don't necessarily agree with that. Uh, Murray's away now. By by all accounts, again, there's there's been issues surrounding his mental health and all the rest. That you know, the strain really got to him. So. If he's going away to sort himself out and make his decision, I think that's up to him. If the club have left the door open for him, then I, I wouldn't mind him going back to his, his previous post, to be honest with you. What I think it does suggest, though, is that there's no future for Lee Wallace. You know, if, I, I know Stuart Robertson, he, he sort of announced last week that the, the, they were coming to the end of the investigation. But I can't see any way in which the two could coexist with within Ibrox. You know, it's obviously been something fairly heavy that's went on in that direction. And, so if the club have already come out and said that they're keeping the door open for Murray, then I think that spells the end for Lee Wallace. I don't think he'll be back at Rangers. Yeah, I think that's a good point, actually. It almost does seem like they've kind of they've picked their horse and they said, right, you can come back, but it means that you're away. And if, if some of the rumours about Lee Wallace this season are true, then I have I have no issue with him not coming back to the club. But uh, listen, that might be unfair because all that we seem to get is rumour and conjecture and innuendo. So... I, I doubt we'll we'll ever know really what went on between the two. David, how about yourself? Would you be happy to see Graham Murty in a role back at the club coaching the youths, considering his record as first team manager? I'm not too sure, Ross. Obviously, the, the club were legally obliged to offer him his old job back because he took up an interim position. Whether his reputation is tarnished, even the eyes, even in the eyes of uh, the young players, I don't know. Um, I think his his success. Uh, rate um, the games that he oversaw. I think I'm sure I saw a statistic that his his win rate was something like 35 percent, something like that. Uh, and since um, Billy Cutwood and Peter Lovenkrans have taken over the team, the the win rate um, went up to over 70 percent. I think it was before the the Burnley game last weekend. Um, would I like to see him back at the club? That's a difficult one. Again, we, we really we don't know what's went on behind the scenes. I don't know. I, I, I'm You've put me in a spot here. Put it this way, I don't think he will be at the club going forward. Um, I think he'll he'll look to move on. I think the the whole the whole experience for the guy has um has came too soon for him. Uh, I think he overestimated the situation. I think he's 
you know, you could point the finger at the guy for actually taking the job on you. I mean, he, he, he'd have been perfectly within his rights to say to Stuart Robertson and whoever on the board that maybe pushed for it to say, no, look, I, I've been through it once before, guys. I, I was happy to help you out, but I don't feel qualified to do this. Uh, and I don't think um, he would have burned any bridges when he, you know, internally, with any club employees. So um, I, I don't think he... I don't think he can be there in the long term. I don't think he will be. Do you know, I just have a feeling you're right. I think he, he he won't fancy coming back. And actually, I don't think that's the wrong decision. I think given it didn't end well, the the abuse that he was taking from sections of our own support, not necessarily unwarranted, to be fair. Um, I think it, he did take it really personally. I think it really did affect him and he didn't have a thick enough skin for it. Um, so I think it would be... It would be brave of him, but it would be hard of him to walk back into into Ockenhowie and take up his old position. You're right to mention, you know, has he lost respect to some of the younger players? Difficult to say, um, but I just I just have a feeling he won't fancy it, and it, it's it's probably best for all involved if we if we get a clean break from that, and, and then we can look ahead into into the new season. Hopefully, Gerard can bring in his own man to to coach the youth, someone that he trusts to to coach them the right way. So that there's that pathway into the first team, um, you just feel like actually it's it's best for all parties if there's a if there's a clean break here and we can look forward instead. Right. Well, I think that will probably uh, that will probably wrap things up quite nicely for us this week. I really hope you've enjoyed the show, and, and if so, please do hit the, the like and subscribe button and make sure you spread the word for us. Now, obviously, the football's taken a wee break, but that doesn't mean that we will be here at the Jersnet Podcast. We've got loads of special shows lined up to help you through the summer. So do keep your eyes on www.jersnet.co.uk for all the latest. And whilst you're there, you should check out all the articles and all the great content. Get yourself signed up to the Jersnet forum for all the latest news in the Rangers chat. Also, please do check out our friends over at We Welcome the Chase podcast. I'm sure you'll, uh, you'll agree that the more Rangers content out there, the better. So definitely head over and, and have a listen. All that's left for me to do is to thank both Colin and David for their time tonight. And also give a big thanks to Graham, our audio engineer, for all his hard work this season. Keep your eyes peeled for loads more Jersnet podcast content very soon. Bye for now.